Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Full Metal Pod. I am Jason. And I'm Jimmy. So Jimmy, how's it going? Well, um, this has definitely been a tough week. Um, as you may have heard, um, I live in in Austin, in Texas, and we just lost one of our best comedy clubs. Uh, I remember both of us going there to listen to Doug Loves Movies, which is uh, one of our one of our favorite podcasts. So it's a it's been a tough week. Uh, I agree one hundred percent, and I was just reminded of it as I looked at my podcast app. Uh, I use. I jump between podcast apps, to be honest, because I'm always trying to figure out which one I like the most. But I was looking at the podcast, and uh, Doug Loves Movies came up, and they did a rebroadcast of one that Jimmy and I actually went to, gosh, four or five years ago. And yeah, it was done up Cop Cap City, and it's just, you know, sad to hear that announcement. It was, uh, I've done stand-up there. I've seen stand-up. We went and saw... Um, uh, Jeff Tate there once, which was great. It was just a huge part of, you know, Austin's comedy history, uh, Austin's comedy scene. Anytime you see a comedian talk about Cap City, uh, even if they're not from Austin, they usually have nothing but fond memories about it and nothing but good things to say. So, I mean, that just really speaks to the impact that, that they had. So it's kind of sad. And I know you're going to miss those hush puppies, and I'm definitely going to miss the Dudley and Bob nachos. Yeah, those hush puppies were amazing. I remember seeing John Mulaney there before he really blew up, and I remember getting heckled there by this lady in a like a bird sweater. Yeah, I remember. I remember, which is always funny when you have like a comedian heckling you. It's usually the other way around. I I, I know, and it was. It's very strange, but you know what? I, I believe if you sit in the front row, you're yeah. open to Yeah, that's true. Whatever. That's kind of the unwritten rule so, of comedy clubs. If you like, sit close to the stage, you are opening yourself up to be messed with by the comedian. So, you know, that's, that's just kind of the law, it seems like. Was that episode that they posted of Doug Loves Movies, is that the one you brought donuts to and they threw donuts at us? Yeah, yeah. I... I I always say that I actually invented the donut thing. Now, granted, I can't prove it, but I do remember uh, one time we went and Chris Cubis was there and I figured, oh, you know, he talks about how much he loves sugary stuff. So if I bring donuts, I'm definitely going to be chosen. I wound up not getting chosen. But then I remember maybe two episodes later, somebody brought donuts to a podcast and that's when they started making it a thing where they would throw donuts every week. Uh, at the podcast so yeah that, i i do remember bringing donuts to this one too and i think is i would have to double check i haven't actually listened to the episode yet but i think this is the one where like john earler just chucks it at this girl who's in the front row it might have been a different one but i distinctly remember there was an episode where that happens i definitely have to go back and check out that episode yeah this one was definitely a, a very very fun one and yeah it's just been a weird week altogether. like we've uh, i'm out here in san francisco and woke up on wednesday and it looked like you know everybody's making that joke about how it's like blade runner but really it was like this orange light was coming through my window which normally i'm either seeing like you know normal blue skies or maybe a gray sky or you know we we're foggy in san francisco so sometimes gray because of that but this was the first time that I ever felt like 
what's going on? I look outside and it's just this weird orange hue. And I'm like, well, I guess walk my dog really quickly and then go back in. Everything looks so ominous of the pictures that I've seen come from you guys. Yeah, this is uh, with everything going on in the world, just add orange skies. I think if if aliens landed in like the middle of New York City next week, I'd be like, you know what? That seems about right for this year. This episode, we will be talking about episode six, Road of Hope, and episode seven, Hidden Truths. And I don't know if it just happens to work out this way or whatnot, but so far this two-episode format works because it seems like every two episodes that we do, they t- seem to dovetail into each other perfectly. Like maybe we're maybe I'm just looking for something that's not there, but these past few episodes, the the, the storylines seem to connect very well. feel like you're gonna jinx us for next week and they're gonna be two totally off topic episodes but so far everything's been like a perfect pair we'll find a way to work with it if that happens let's see here so road of hope where we left off is that the elric brothers run into scar who is a serial killer essentially who is targeting only state alchemist he is a survivor of the ishvalan civil war and this is his way of getting revenge because the state alchemists are ultimately the ones who are responsible for his entire uh, family getting killed, his entire people getting killed. Uh, They definitely were like the nukes of the day when they were brought into the battle. So the the brothers, uh, Ed's arm got destroyed. Half of Al's body was destroyed. Now they're heading back to their hometown of Risenbull to get their, their themselves repaired. So Ed needs his arm in order to do alchemy and, Al is only able to be fixed by Ed because of the whole armor-soul bonding process. So until Ed's fixed, Al can't be fixed. So they head back, and then they're on their train. They take a stop in a city, and they are escorted by Armstrong, I should add. So Armstrong is their escort into the city because since they're both kind of disabled at this point, if Scar attacks, they would be in big trouble, so Armstrong's there to kind of protect them. Armstrong recognizes this guy named Dr. Marco in the in the city when they're on the train, and he's like, hey, Dr. Marco. Dr. Marco runs away. He mentions that Dr. Marco is a talented state alchemist who is known for his medical skills with alchemy, uh, but after the, the Civil War, he just vanished. And so they kind of look into it and they find that he is living in the village under the alias of Dr. Morrow, which I'm going to just throw it right now. Dr. Morrow, when his real name is Dr. Marco, it it really reminds me of the whole, I'm not Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm Ben Kenobi. You know, the whole, like, come on, can't you be a little more creative with your alias? You didn't change your look, you didn't, you know change your face or anything the only way you changed your your alias or the only way you changed your name was make it sound slightly different than the original one it's always i guess i don't know maybe people just don't look in those little small towns maybe he's safe with that alias anyway so the team finds him but he explains that he ran away he took his research etc etc and he's been living in this village trying to be a doctor, as he is supposed to be, who's healing people, not hurting people. He's being kind of mysterious. Basically, you know, he's telling people that 
he created the Philosopher's Stone, and he has one on him, and it's this little weird liquid that is in a small little flask. And he mentions, you know, Philosopher's Stones can take any form. They don't necessarily have to be physical stones. And this is an incomplete one, which means it can be depleted. It can run out of energy, uh, which implies that a perfect stone never runs out of energy. Ed is insistent in finding that research because he believes he can figure out how to make a perfect Philosopher's Stone if he can just get his hands on it. Well, Marco is hesitant to tell them what he researched. Ed says that he definitely needs that information, and he explains why he's interested in the stone, how he lost his bodies, they did the ultimate taboo, etc., etc., uh, and that they will stop at nothing to get that information. But Marco says it's devil's research. That's that. So they leave empty-handed, but then Marco runs to meet them at the train station and tells them, hey, there's a, you know, go to the library, find my books, you'll be able to find my research there. As they go away, Marco is visited by Lust, who we've seen in previous episodes, and the screen kind of cuts out there. The boys return home, and they meet Pinaco and Winry Rockbell. Winry, of course, attacks Ed, but in a playful way. And then uh, they kind of have this back and forth about how long it's going to take to fix their auto mail and everything. Winry's mad that he broke it. And Ed goes to visit his mom's grave. Pinaco then mentions that Ed's dad's left. The boys have been, you know, through a lot in their life. Once they, once Ed had gotten his state alchemy certification, they then burnt down their childhood home because they, basically, they didn't want to have a place to go back to. So it would force them to keep looking. He also mentions, or not he, but Pinaco also mentions that Winry's parents are gone as well. They were doctors, and they went to the battlefield to care for injured people during the Civil War, and unfortunately, they lost their life during the Civil War. Everything ends with the, the brothers getting fixed. Ed gets a new arm. It's slightly lighter, he mentions, or that uh, Winry mentions, rather, saying that, you know, it's a little lighter because it's made out of chrome, but, you know, it's also a little more vulnerable to attack. Ed then fixes Al. He points out this little blood kind of circle in the armor, and that's what is the medium that is bonding Al's soul to the suit. So if that gets messed up somehow or warped or something, then Al's suit or Al's soul would leave his body. And so that's why Ed is the only one who can do the repairs because he knows how to avoid that and not accidentally make a small tweak that would ultimately result in Al's soul departing this plane. They get ready to head to Central City to go look for the library. And that ends our episode. So let's talk. What were your thoughts, Jimmy? My initial thought is when Granny was talking about Ed and Al's parents and how she was a drinking buddy with their father, I was like, I would love to do a few shots with Granny. She seems like the perfect drinking buddy. I I wonder what her, her liquor of choice is. Yeah, she's really chill. I also like how she's 
she's like really short, like even shorter than Ed, but she makes those remarks about how he is shrinking instead of growing. And that really irks Ed because Ed hates when people call him short. So that really made me laugh. I I love a, a Ed is small joke. And especially we haven't gotten one in a long time, which I'm so disappointed about is that where Al gets confused for the older brother. I, I want that again. I feel like there, there was a missed opportunity in this week's episode. So, but I do love when the interaction with granny and this episode seems so longer than it. It, it almost feels like two different episodes because we have the first half with Dr. Marco. And then we have the second half with granny and Winry. So when you were talking about it, I was like, man, this is one really long episode. Yeah, it really is, because there's there seems to be two stories that are happening there. And you kind of have the, uh, I mean, it makes sense why the story with Marco is there, because that's ultimately, I guess, just supposed to kind of spur the further investigation of the brothers into the Philosopher's Stone. Like now they've got a lead. But, you know, they could have put that in a different episode or something. Like, I I really would have liked him to have stayed home a little longer. Like, obviously, this is supposed to be an action anime and everything. So having them at home is kind of dull. But at the same time, it kind of humanizes them. It was nice to see him not, you know, the brothers not worrying about finding uh, the stone, though. Ed mentioned it a little bit, but that was because they got that lead so all ed can think about is i need to get out of here so that i can find the philosopher's stone yeah it would have been nice if they were just able to chill hang out reminisce uh take a load off and spend time with their family because like essentially panaco or granny that is who effectively raised the these three kids because winry's parents died in the war so winry's grandparents are uh, grandmother is panaco so she's living with their grandparent and then when the brothers lose their father and then their mother they wind up staying with panaco now granted they lived like kind of down the street so it was kind of implied that they lived in their house but panaco would come and visit them or take a take a, a look at them every you know a few times a day or something like that but that was pretty much like the last bit of family they have. It would have been nice just to see them hanging out and being like normal. I do love that this episode that they paired Armstrong with the brothers. I, if there's any character I would love to see in their own spinoff anime, what they're doing in their own life. Armstrong is one of those characters. He never ceases to amaze me. I do have a question about, his hair. Is that a choice? Just the one curl there? Or do you think like he lost all his hair or is it just anime? I think it's just anime. You know, you have to give everybody weird anime hair. That's kind of the rule. And I think that, or I also think it's a choice. Like that's supposed to be a stylistic choice because if he was just going bald, it'd be weird that he would just keep that little tuft of hair. Like that doesn't help anything. It's like, you don't really see it all that often, but I remember you used to see people who are balding, but then they would have the ponytail, and you're like, the ponytail's not really helping the situation at all. <laughs> this is like the opposite, where it's like the ponytail up front, 
it just I don't know. It amazes me. I love it. It's it's a bold choice. Yeah, and he definitely serves a lot as the comic relief in the show. I mean, he's clearly in love with his muscles and he's just this big burly guy, but then he's also just such a softy. He's like a teddy bear, you know, how he cries about learning when he learns the brother's past and everything. He just it shows that he's like deeply in touch with his emotions. So he's just he's very comedic and i really enjoy him i really felt at first um like we meet they're on the train and they get to this town they see dart dr marco just walking and armstrong is yelling out the window like dr marco do you remember me it's me armstrong and dr marco basically puts his head down like starts running away i for a second i didn't think it was because he was hiding i was like armstrong seems like that friend that would embarrass you out in public yeah he probably was like hey remember that time we went to the bar and you got really drunk and threw up in the street or something like yeah that definitely seems like something that uh, that armstrong would do i just i love that character so much probably one of my top full metal alchemist characters armstrong i agree and he kind of has that same character in both versions not just brotherhood but the original he is kind of the teddy bear muscle bound guy with super strength and who's just very flamboyant uh, in his behavior that he's, he's just very emotional but he's also muscular because like he'll make these uh competitions or he'll he'll make these comments about how strong he is so it's pretty interesting it's, it's pretty fun to watch do you think they issue him tearaway clothes now like he's gone through too many jackets we just need to make tearaway versions for him Oh, absolutely. Like, his, his suit is made out of, like, crepe paper or something. It's just easily tear away. I, I, I love, I feel like I've gushed over that character so much during this podcast. I just, I love him. But my other thing I took away from this episode is, like, Winry's parents were surgeons. And do you think that's why she has this passion for auto mail? Like, it is, it's basically surgery in a sense exactly what it is it is giving people a artificial limb and you know in the in the episode ed mentions that the part that he hates the most is when the nerves start reconnecting when they install the new arm so it tells me that there's a lot of intricacy that goes into creating auto mail and making it work with a human body so yeah i mean i think that is pretty much like surgery so I found that interesting when they were talking about her parents and then I, you see her kind of working on his arm this whole time. It, it, I very felt like she's kind of following in their footsteps in a way. I agree. I agree. She definitely is. And she just has like a natural aptitude because she's roughly the same age as the brothers and they're none of them are 16, yet she has like this genius ability it seems to create the auto mail and make it function Grant, she's working with her grandma who is a seasoned expert at this but either way it can't be that easy to do yeah i i just i mean she definitely this is her passion and i i really like seeing that in most of the characters we meet good or bad they're very involved in their work or whatever they're passionate about they're like consumed by it 
Absolutely they are. They are very into whatever it is. And that sometimes can be a folly, sometimes could be an asset. It really depends on the situation. A lot of times it's both. But yeah, I, I really like seeing Winry. Winry's always been one of my favorite characters. In fact, I got a, a new dog recently about, well, maybe two months ago after I, I lost my dog of 13 years back in January. Uh, so I finally got a puppy, just, you know, COVID puppy, I think, like everybody else. But but it's just nice to have one around. And I wound up naming her Winry because she is crafty, just like the character, and spunky, just like the character. So I'm like, yeah, this is a perfect fit. And it's my favorite anime, so it works. Exactly. Yeah. And then I think a little bit the interesting thing about um, Marco when they visited him was that he clearly has a secret like he ran away from the military but not as a standard deserter like oh i don't want to fight because i'm afraid i might die like the way he's talking it's clear that he believes he, he calls what his research was the devil's work and it's kind of implied because he was a state alchemist that he was being forced to do this work so this necessarily wasn't his own idea, so to speak, as much as it was given to him based on his knowledge of medicinal alchemy. And so he just hates it. Now he wants to go and do good in the world by being a doctor in this small town and healing people with his alchemic skills. And he is adamant that it's the devil's work. So it's going to be interesting to figure out what he was running from. Is he dead? Do you think he's dead? Because we end the meeting him with Envy being in his house. And most people who encounter or encounter with her don't see life too long. I don't know how to phrase that. Sorry. You know, it's I don't think so. But the big thing that we've seen is they, they seem to have an interest in state alchemists, lust and envy and, uh, and gluttony. So far, what we've seen in the few episodes and the few things that we've seen. So it just seems like it might be counterproductive for her to kill him. But, you know, we'll find out. But, yeah, I also like the part where they burned down their house. I felt that pretty interesting to like, to have nothing to come back to when uh, Granny was telling Armstrong. Like, he was asking, why don't they stay at their own house? She's like, they burnt it down. And that is kind of interesting. It's like we're full force on finding answers. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the reasoning they give is that that way they have nowhere to return. All they can do is move forward. So even if they reach a dead end, they just need to find a way to overcome it or find another path or find another option. So it is a very interesting way that they choose to handle that. I also find it interesting is only bringing people back to life the only taboo part of alchemy because everything else seems pretty like everyone's very cool with like ed and Al want to bring their limbs and body back and people are making chimeras so like everyone seems very comfortable with all these other things but but this one thing is taboo i i don't I don't really understand where the the line in the sand is drawn at this moment. I think the taboo, at least from what I can gather, the taboo is not necessarily in terms of like a law, like a government law or something. Like there are laws against doing 
uh, kind of alchemy as much as just the laws of physics or the laws of alchemaic physics does not allow you to do that kind of stuff. And so that's why they, they call it taboo. It's not necessarily taboo in the sense that it's against the law as much as it's against the laws of physics and or the laws of alchemy. And there are grave consequences for trying to do it. I think it'd be like trying to defy, probably not the best example, but like trying to defy the laws of gravity, uh, you know, before before airplanes were a thing or hot air balloons or any kind of air travel. I think back, if we look there, people might've thought there's no way you can overcome it. That's just not doable. And all you're going to do is wind up getting yourself killed if you try. So I think maybe that's kind of the idea. Yeah. I feel like that's, that perfectly sums up this episode for me. Cool. Yeah, me too. So we can just jump right into the next one which is called let me find my notes it is not called let me find my notes i'm just talking to myself it is called the hidden truths episode seven so we kind of pick up exactly where we ended and the brothers arrive to the library and it has burnt to the ground and they are naturally frustrated we then see lust in east city and apparently lust went to central briefly to burn down the library I guess she interrogated Marco and Marco uh, told her exactly what he had done. So they, she goes to central city, burns down the library, returns to East city to meet with gluttony. Apparently they're in East city to try to hunt down scar because state alchemists are important to them. And we don't know why yet, but clearly state alchemists are important to them and they can't have somebody killing them. So, uh, they go to the steward, sewers, they fight. Scar is able to hold his own. He's able to escape. Uh, not uninjured, though. And so we later see that Mustang and his men find the location where Scar fought or Scar escaped. He essentially blew up the side of a wall to escape the sewers and escape through the city. So there's like this little hole in the wall, or large hole in the wall, rather, near the waterway. And so they find, like, his jacket, and they assume, okay, well, he's dead, clearly. There's blood here in the jacket. It's like, well, no, we're not going to declare him dead until I see a body. So Mustang has his men continue to clear the rubble until they can confirm Scar is dead. Ed and Al obviously are very frustrated, but they are brought to a library employee who they figure may be able to tell them where the... Where the, where the records were. Maybe they weren't in the library at that time. Maybe they were stored somewhere else. So they go find her. She's clearly buried in books. Uh, she's clearly, like, literally buried in books. Like, she just, in her house, she keeps an inordinate amount of books, and she gets buried in them. The boys help her out. Uh, Cheska is her name. She's a very, very uh, pixie-like anime girl, if you will. But she also has a perfect memory, so apparently she had read every book in the library, and she can write down all of Marco's notes from memory. So over the course of a few days, she writes them down, just stacks of paper, and it turns out nothing but recipes. Well, the brothers are fine with this because they understand that alchemists often will encode their research into mundane things like recipes or novels or whatever, so that way, if a layman looks at it, they won't be able to figure out what they're talking about. 
they, the boys take the research back into their room and they start researching it, going through it. They figure, well, if we apply all of our alchemic knowledge, we might be able to find out how to decode this text. About 10 days pass and the boys, they crack the code. They are able to decrypt the notes, but they are horrored when they discover the truth. They discover that the main ingredient of the Philosopher's Stone is human life. They discover that in order for a Philosopher's Stone to be created, humans have to be sacrificed. And ultimately that creates the stone. I don't think that they ever actually say uh, how many humans are sacrificed or what that process entails, but they do mention that that is the main ingredient. The brothers ask these two officers who are escorting them around to keep quiet, but they wind up spilling to Armstrong. Armstrong, being Armstrong, emotes because he is so upset that the government would allow them to conduct such research on people. So they decide, well, let's figure out where this research took place. Dr. Marco used to work in Laboratory 3, but the brothers have been there many times. They didn't see anything of interest. Armstrong points out that there is this old military building on the far side of town uh, that has condemned, but it may very well be what they are looking for. The boys who arrived there after they promised Armstrong they wouldn't go, but of course they're going to do what they're going to do. It's supposedly a condemned building, but there's guards there, so you know how unused could it possibly be? Because there are no doors in there, Ed kind of does the solid snake thing and sneaks in through a vent. Al's too big to fit in the vent, so he just kind of waits outside. As Ed gets in, and as Al's waiting outside, Al is greeted by a, another armored guy, and this episode ends. So, what were your thoughts on this one? How did you like it? How did you didn't li- not like it? Tell me what your thoughts are. This definitely was a slower episode for me. It didn't it didn't have that fast pace, but I still enjoyed it because I'm probably gonna say her name wrong. Is it Sheska? Yeah. Is that yeah? I I yeah. I love this character. I hope this is not the end of her journey with us. I hope we get to encounter her more often. I, I another character I love to see just like. What are they doing in their off time? But I think we already know, and it's reading books. Yeah, she is de- like calling her a bookworm. Granted, I don't think she's the type of person who would see that as an insult either, if you called her a bookworm. But yeah, like she's clearly into her job, and unfortunately, she lost her job. I don't recall if they say why, if it was because, well, there is no more library, so there's nowhere for her to work, or if something else happened. But uh, Hughes winds up giving her a job because of her perfect memory. Apparently, she remembers all of the criminal records and everything from or from what was stored in the library. So she can just help him rebuild it. So, hey, now that's great news. And we'll probably see her more because of that rather than her being a one-off character. At least that's the hope. I do. I mean, she probably would not find being called a bookworm offensive. Because when we first meet her, she's almost going to die to being drowned by books that have collapsed upon her. So I do. I I enjoyed that a lot. It made me laugh. I do love the part where she goes to see how 
Ed and Al are doing and thank them for the money. And she's there and she's like, oh yeah, I had this photographic memory, but I need to find a job. And then Hughes comes in. He's like, oh, our library burned down. And they're like, hmm, hey, we know someone. It's just like that thing. Like, you got someone for the job? I want them. They're hired. It was just these small jokes sprinkled throughout this episode lined it up for me a lot. Yeah. And then it's kind of with the other one that I was mentioning how it's nice to just see them being people. There was a lot of that in the episode, just them interacting with each other as normal human beings, not necessarily. Now, granted, they did have like an agenda. They were wanting to find the information so that they can, you know, continue their investigation. But ultimately it was, you know, them being just them, them being nice, them caring about each other and talking. And we got to see the human, how humanistic or how human they were when they were with, with Jessica and, all that part was great. I do wonder if it's that other thing where they have like a soft spot for moms. Cause she was, was it her mom or was it her grandma that she had to move? She wanted to move them to a better hospital. Yeah. I wonder if they have this soft spot for moms and that's why they're like, we need to just give her as much money as we can. That's true. He did seem to just say, Hey, take this much money out of our account and give it to her without, much thought and apparently it was an exorbitant amount of money based on their reaction so yeah they, they've definitely oh no like i wonder how much he gets paid and is ed a researcher is he a researcher for the state or is he like a? I don't know what he is so in the earlier episode where we get the flashback of how he became a state alchemist they mentioned that part of Part of being a state alchemist was that you got a research fund. So I think he, as well as all the other alchemists, get research funds. Um, But then they're also all called dogs of the military. So they're also, in exchange for that money, they are tools for the military to use for whatever reason, including, you know, unfortunately killing innocent people or using their alchemic skills to give them an unfair advantage. So it seems like Ed is Ed joined after they've fallen civil war. As far as I can tell from the story, you know, with the, there hasn't really been a major event since this fallen civil war. So really it's kind of just patrol and whatnot. So I think these alchemists are able to focus more on research since there's not a lot for them to actually do so ed fortunately has been able to avoid much military or war work at this point in time that being said he does know that at any point in time they could call in the favor and say hey uh, you need to do your job and hunt down these people it is i always wonder it seems like he gets to do very it feels in my opinion he's not doing it enough researching but I guess when I think back upon it, he is kind of along his way. It's just everyone he goes to interview is doing something crazy. Yeah. But like a couple episodes ago, we met Cornello and it seemed like all he was doing was just pure research in his own lab. But we see like Ed being sent off places. Uh, do you mean Cornello? The... No, sorry. I'm like, 
Oh, now I can't remember his name. Oh, was it T- Tucker? Sorry. Oh, yeah, man. But- yeah, sorry. I got all confused. I'm like, my notes are like a madman's like manifesto. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I meant Tucker. Sorry. How Tucker was just doing research at his own house in his lab. Well, it seems like Ed and Al are like being sent off to different places. And they're also doing like investigations of other state alchemists as well. Yeah. Well, I the way I've always seen it is that what the brothers are looking for is very specific. But then it also seems like what they know is very hush-hush, so to speak. Not everybody knows that they're trying to get their bodies back or that is their motivation. It seems like it's just Mustang and his men who know that. So, you know, they can't specifically tell people, oh, I we need money or we want research how to create new bodies or something like that because that will raise a lot of red flags. But then also I think what they're trying to research, there isn't a lot of known information on. So I think Mustang tries to send them on on uh, like missions or whatnot where they would have the opportunity to run into people who may have the answers. So like so far we've seen them go to Lior where they went to go investigate somebody who supposedly had a philosopher's stone. And then they went to meet Chuck Tucker, who was an expert at biological alchemy so, so far they were trying to find people who might have answers. And then this last time, you know, obviously it's a little bit more of a happenstance because they weren't looking for Marco unless, you know, we might be able to argue that maybe Mustang knew that Marco might be in there, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but I don't, I don't see it happening to be quite honest, but yeah. So that Mustang, that Mustang knew that Marco lived in that town and planned a train stop to, yeah that town i i would i could see that because i i do have a conspiracy theory that mustang is like some mastermind behind this that he knew like like i talked last week's episode or yeah about tucker and how i believe that mustang knew that tucker was up to something and sent the boys there i i now i'm on board i'm this gonna be this full metal alchemist conspiracy theorist of mustang's plans it seems like Mustang keeps putting them on tasks where they might run into somebody who might have knowledge that they can use. Because I think right now, what one, their research is very self-serving. They're not like their research in no way benefits the government directly or anything or the military. It's just they they're researching because they want to return their bodies back to normal. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think this is all kind of on the DL for them. Do you think Marco's 1000 easy recipes was like, I could cook something out of that. Could someone like check that book out and be like, I want to make this green pea dish and it would come out as a regular dish. Or do you think it it had something else to it? Uh, My thoughts are that there were probably like real recipes there because, you know, if you like, if all the recipes were bad and Marco was a well-known alchemist, that might raise some red flags to people and they might think that there might be other reasons that he wrote that book. So I, I feel like if he was trying to hide everything in the recipe, he should at least make those recipes real. 
And do you think anyone's? Do you think Sheska's cooked any of those recipes? Uh, probably. It'd be pretty weird to have like a thousand recipes in your mind and not try one. I I would love. I feel like someone needs to make that a thing. I I want to cook from that cookbook. No, I want to. If anybody finds it online or in, on eBay or something or has some kind of rendition, please let us know on Twitter and we will we will be very thankful. We will try it out before one of our recordings. I wonder if I go back. Do you think they ever? Well, no, because most animes have like nonsense yeah. writing for their actual text. I was going to be like, if we could screen grab, but maybe there's something out there. I figure some fan must have created something or the studio put something out. Uh, but one of the big things that came up in this episode was that the Philosopher's Stone is made out of humans, which, I mean, I guess, yes, that is very disturbing. So let's start with that. Like, that is very disturbing. On the flip side, it also makes perfect sense because this is... Like this is a military that was fine with using alchemy to commit what amounted to genocide. So it doesn't seem far-fetched that the military would also be all right with using human life to create philosopher's stones and give them an edge in battle. Uh, you know, even when the when the brothers were trying to figure out where this research may have taken place, Ed points out that that abandoned building is right next to a prison. So prison has plenty of human lives that they can use and they can just, you know, tell the public, oh, this guy was executed. That's why he's no longer alive. I do wonder how far up it goes. Like, so they find out and they let the two officers that are watching over them. know. I don't know. They don't tell them directly. They kind of say it out loud as they discovered it. And the two other officers just happen to be there. But then they let Armstrong know or they... They don't let Armstrong know. The two officers let Armstrong know. But these everyone who's just found out seems horrified. So I wonder who knows and who doesn't know. Obviously, they're working out of a, a pretty good-sized building. So I wonder who's staffed there. Yeah, it's probably one of those secret projects. I mean, it seems like, granted, we only had a few people run into Marco. But when Armstrong ran into it, it seemed like, Armstrong had no idea what Marco's research was. The officers had no idea what Marco's research was. So it might have just been like one of those secret uh, research projects that was only kind of on the know. I think kind of like the chimeras too. Like I, I doubt the general population knows much anything about chimeras, but there's probably some people who are a little higher up in the military who know everything about Tucker's chimeras. I do. I find that very interesting. It gave me like Harry Potter vibes when they were like, it takes a human life. I was like, oh, this is like Horcruxes. Again, you know, this is an anime that's not afraid to go there. I mean, we're, we're dealing with them using human life for experiment for experiments. And like, to me, it's becoming very clear that this is supposed to be like early 1900s Germany, the country they're in, because you know they're they've committed a genocide. They're very militaristic. Uh, they're definitely a militaristic country. Uh, they they call their leader the Führer. You know the whole oh we experiment on human lives for the 
betterment of science definitely sounds like a uh, Dr. Mengele type thing. So it, I'm definitely seeing this whole um, parallel that they're setting up with the government being similar to that of, you know, Hitler's Germany. And so I, I kind of, I kind of think that they are setting us up to learn that the government is not as good as it, as we think. I mean, I definitely, I, there are definitely secrets and it seems like they're, they're going to uncover some things, expose some people. I'm down for it. Hopefully it's not too bad. Like, I mean, obviously it's bad. Uh, hopefully, I guess hopefully the boys figure something out and figure out what's going on and they are able to solve it. And it looks like in this next episode for our next podcast, we're going to learn a bit more about what they discover uh, because they are now at the lab. Um, all we know is that they use human lives. We just don't know how do they, you know, do they use alchemy to condense human lives into that red goop? I mean, that red goop does, and the red stone does kind of look like blood. Uh, you know, how, how are they making it? I think we will probably find I out in the wait. next episode. So uh, we'll catch you next time, guys. Thank you for listening. All right. Bye.